I'm Effie Parks. Welcome to Once Upon a Jane, the podcast. This is a place I created for us to connect and share the stories of our not-so-typical lives. Raising kids who are born with rare genetic syndromes and other types of disabilities can feel pretty isolating. What I know for sure is that when we can hear the triumphs and challenges from others who get it, we can find a lot more laughter, a lot more hope, and feel a lot less alone. I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Once Upon a Gene is proud to be part of Bloodstream Media. Living in a family affected by rare and chronic illness can be isolating, and sometimes the best medicine is connecting to the voices of people who share your experience. This is why Bloodstream Media produces podcasts, blogs, and other forms of content for patients, families, and clinicians impacted by rare and chronic diseases. Visit bloodstreammedia.com to learn more. Hello, and welcome to the show. I am your host, Effie Parks, and I'm so grateful that you're here and choosing to take some time out of your day to listen to this amazing podcast. First, I have some information to help spread that I think will benefit a lot of you, and hopefully some of you can attend. It's an upcoming virtual symposium at Boston Children's Hospital. It's targeted to families of kids ages 0 to 24 with complex heart diseases with or without a genetic diagnosis and is also very relevant to families of any kids with complex medical profiles or developmental delays or disabilities. 2022's themes include optimizing family well-being over the lifespan in the face of medical uncertainty, promoting executive function, and coping with medical anxiety. The sessions will be recorded, and attendees will have access to the recordings if they can't attend a live session. The cost is $50 per family, and financial assistance is available to anyone who needs it. You can email jill.mudari, J-I-L-L dot M-U-D-A-R-R-I at childrens.harvard.edu with any questions. And I'll have that in, in the show notes, so you can go check it out for yourself. There's going to be some amazing speakers and workshop leaders, and the event's going to be interactive with opportunities to directly pose questions and engage in virtual workshops. So check it out. I'll include the link in the show notes as well. Today's episode is with a woman who will leave you changed somehow. Her and her family has endured so much from a rare disease called ALSP. It's ravaged through the generations in her family, and she has lost so much, including her mom and her two sisters, one of whom is her twin. And today, the day this podcast comes out is March 31st, 2020. And it's the birthday that they share. And now also ALSP Awareness Day, which you can learn more about it at their website. I'll also have that in the notes that you can refer to. Something she says is, it's too late to save my sisters and other family members but I advocate every day for my niece and nephews and others who may get this diagnosis. Through the work of Sisters Hope Foundation, I hope we see the very first survivor of ALSP, and she is on that mission. Please welcome this force of nature, Heidi Edwards. Hi, Heidi. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Effie. I'm glad to be here. Yes, I'm really looking forward to chatting with you. I know we've been trying to make this work for like a year now. <laughs> and it's happening probably right when it's supposed to. So thanks for being my guest. Thank you. 
So you have quite the story. Uh, I was trying to make sure I got enough sleep so I could make it through our conversation without crying too much as usual. But I'd love to uh, know more about you and your family and Sisters Hope Foundation, if you could give us a little background. Sure. So my journey with ALSP started almost 20 years ago. And the first person in my family was my aunt who became sick. And at the time, we had no idea what we were dealing with. And, you know, fast forward to present day, it is now known as ALSP. And we have five family members that have passed away from this disease. So my my aunt, my mom, her brother, my which is my uncle, and then most recently, my only two sisters, my older sister, Heather, passed away in 2020. My twin sister, Holly, passed away in July of 2021 from ALSP. So I started the Sisters Hope Foundation to honor my sisters and, of course, my mom and her siblings to raise awareness and education of ALSP and to connect people affected by this devastating disease. 20 years ago, when my aunt was diagnosed, not only did the medical community not know what she was dealing with, but as a family, we had no idea of how to help her. So there was very little information available. And I feel it's important to link the patients and families with experts, neuroscientists, neuroradiologists, neuropsychologists, who understand the complexities of this disease and to give them hope that they're not alone in this journey the way we were 20 years ago. Heidi, I'm so sorry for all of the loss in your family and this disease that has just plagued it for so long. Ugh, it's so it's so heartbreaking. Yeah, it, it really is heartbreaking. I mean, I feel like some days the only thing that gets me through all of this is to keep pushing forward and fighting to find a cure and helping other families that are affected by this disease. I don't like to be alone in my thoughts too much because then I start thinking about my sisters and getting really upset because I wasn't supposed to be in my mid 40s all alone without my sisters, you know, and we were supposed to have the next 40 years of our lives to hang out and have fun and enjoy our time with our children. So um, this is really hard, but I am extremely fortunate to be able to have started this foundation and work closely with patients and families who are dealing with the same situation that I was. And now in 2022, we now know that in my family, there are two more people diagnosed with the mutation. So I have a cousin and a nephew who are now positive for the genetic mutation of CSF1R. Can you tell us a little bit about ALSP and how it shows up and what the whole symptomatology is and when you started noticing what was happening with your mom and your sisters? So ALSP is a rare progressive neurological disease, and it causes changes to certain areas of the brain. For instance, um, the frontal temporal lobe of the brain. So it may mimic an FTD, frontotemporal dementia. Mutations, though, occur in the CSF1R gene. So we are really fortunate to know the exact gene that causes this disease. And this is an autosomal dominant gene, which means that a child of a parent who has the gene has a 50% chance of inheriting the gene and contracting the illness. Because there is genetic testing available, I was the very first person in my family in 2014 to have predictive genetic testing done. And I do know that I do not carry this mutation. So I do not have to worry about this disease. And my 
only child does not have to worry about this disease. But both of my sisters carried the mutation, passed away from the disease, so their children are at risk of having this mutation. And we do know that one of the of my sister's children do carry the mutation. It is an an underdiagnosed disease is what we believe. ALSP probably makes up about 10 to 25% of all adult leukodystrophies. So we do believe that there are around 10,000 people in the US living with this disease, probably misdiagnosed or undiagnosed. There's still many doctors, many geneticists that have never heard of ALSP and are not sure what to do when they do find a patient that has ALSP or the CSF1R mutation. So it is so critical for me to raise awareness and and educate others on this disease. So if you, Effie, if you think about a disease like Lou Gehrig's disease, which is ALS and, a, and Alzheimer's, you have a movement disorder and a memory disorder. When they come together into one, you have ALSP. So you have a condition that causes dementia and movement issues. Early on with this disease, just like in my family, you'll start to have personality changes, which include depression and a loss of social inhibitions. Those are the earliest symptoms. You're, you might see apathy and affected individuals may develop memory issues with impulse control and focusing attention appropriately. Now, some people with ALSP have seizures, but not everyone. As ALSP progresses, it does cause dementia and movement issues, like I said. So you may notice slow movement, difficulty walking, tremors, and muscle stiffness. At the beginning of this disease, it does affect the left side of the body until late stages when it will affect the entire body. So you may notice when someone is walking, they have a shuffled gait and they're left arm does not swing the way it typically would in a person when they're going for a walk. So it may be real stiff and down by their side. Or I know in my family, I remember them holding their arm against their chest, the left side against their chest. They're just, the movements are abnormal. They are not the same as a healthy individual. Interesting and actually specific specific to it it makes me think so many things like what are these adults being misdiagnosed with at this point uh, because you're right there are probably thousands and thousands of people uh, walking around who have this diagnosis who get misdiagnosed with what I wonder and also most adults aren't just getting a genetic test when they have symptoms of anything happening right Correct. So most people are getting misdiagnosed with MS, Lou Gehrig's disease, or ALS. It may be a frontal temporal dementia. In my family, it was cortical basal degeneration, which is a movement disorder, Pick's disease, which is a dementia, vascular dementia. So it's it's all over the place with dementias and movement disorders, but typically you're going to see someone misdiagnosed with MS or ALS. And you know, it's really easy at the point in someone's life where they say, where you start to notice these changes, the average age of onset is 43 years old. It's easy to say that it's the stress 
of life. You're raising a family. You might be married. You have a stressful career. So of course, there's a lot of demands on you at that point. So maybe you're just, you're tired, you're overwhelmed, you're slowing down a little bit. You just can't keep up with those daily demands. So it's easy to say, you know, there's other things going on. It's not an incurable disease. Or, oh, maybe I just don't exercise enough. So that's why my walk is changing. Or I'm so tired and I'm walking slow. I can't keep up with other people my age because I'm just out of shape. You may also say, well, they're hitting menopause. So maybe their anger and and outbursts and changes in behavior are due to menopause. You know, it's it's it was really easy. Even knowing that my family carried this mutation, it was easy to say, no, it's not that. It's not that yet. It's it has to be something else causing these problems. Do you have memories of stories that you heard from your grandparents about their family before them in people dying young or having uh, symptoms of this stuff popping up, but they didn't have the language or the or the science or the diagnosis to really know what it was? You know, in my family, that's the strange part, because, you know, we know it is a genetic condition. My grandfather passed away at the age of 63 from emphysema. And my grandmother passed away at 89 from old age. They they feel she may have had late stage Alzheimer's. At this point, we don't know who the carrier was. We just know that the my mom and her two siblings had the mutation and passed it on to at, le- at least my two sisters and another family member and then my nephew. But looking back even further, we're not finding that link yet. Unlike in other families where they do know, they know that there was a misdiagnosis of MS. They know that someone passed away really young and it was in their 40s or 50s. And they can pinpoint, wow, that that makes sense now. That's what they had. They had ALSP. In my family, unfortunately, we're not able to pinpoint it exactly. We're, you know, and the scientists and the researchers are torn. They're not sure was it my grandfather or was it my grandmother? Because we do have patients who are in their 80s and they carry the CSF1R mutation and they have no symptoms. So it's possible that my grandmother at 89 did have ALSP, but it's very possible that my grandfather passed away not from emphysema, but from ALSP because he was young. And typically we will see it in someone that's younger than uh, 65, more likely in their 50s, or 40s, we have seen this disease in people with their 20s as well. Gosh, how frustrating. Yes, it's all over the board. Anywhere from 20 years old all the way up to 80 years old. If you carry the mutation, you could become symptomatic. But on the other point, you could carry this mutation and be in your 80s and never have a symptom, which is really promising as well. I know a lot of people don't want to get tested because there's no cure yet. But look at this, at least you know what could be happening to you. You know you have a family history. So if you get tested, say you find out that you carry this positive mutation, you can join a natural history study now through Vigil Neuroscience, and they can start watching you. They do all of the clinical exams that go with a neurological exam. They do an MRI. And you would know as soon as changes start happening with your brain or you have clinical symptoms, you would know that right away. And 
I truly believe that knowledge is power. I want to know what's going on. I want to help people with this disease and I want to help find a cure and connect them to the right clinicians in the field. So I think it's really important to be able to say yes or no, I carry this mutation. Now I'm going to fight and help. Either way, I'm going to help make a difference. Amen to that. You know, I am curious. I know one of your sisters decided not to be tested and you decided to be tested. I think that was your twin sister. Mm -hmm. And I wonder the approach that both of you took. What are your thoughts on it? And how did how did that affect the family in in both ways? So, you know, my my sister and I, we are twins. We are fraternal twins. And my mom had already passed away by the time we had the opportunity to have uh, predictive genetic testing. And Holly and I were best friends. We were extremely close. We talked about everything. So when the University of Pennsylvania sat the family down and said, you you can be tested. There is a place now in the United States that will test for this disease. And I said, I'm in. I want to know. And no one else in the room wanted to find out. But I said, I, I need to know. So Holly and I talked about it in great detail. And she said, I know you're the type that needs to plan and you need to know if you're carrying this mutation because it had already become a quite a burden on me. I was scared to death that I was carrying this mutation and it was actually causing more harm to me than good by not knowing. So she said, I do not want to know. I definitely, she, she by no, no doubt, she was ignorance is bliss. She's like, I just want to go through life not knowing if I carry this mutation and just live life to the fullest. And that was definitely the kind of person she was. So I said, okay, so mom has always told us that we are fraternal twins, but being born in 1977, the doctors didn't even know my mom was pregnant with twins. I said, so I am not going to rely on them to tell us if we're fraternal twins or not. So we're going to have DNA testing done. And we, we did that. I said, I will not find out until we know for sure that we are fraternal twins. So we went through that process. We confirmed that we were fraternal twins. That way, we knew for sure if I found out either way, it had no bearing on my twin sister. Now, if we came back as as um, identical twins, then we had a bigger issue to deal with because I wanted to know and she didn't. And of course, you know that if you're identical twins, you share the same genes. So if one has it, the other has it. So we knowing that I could move forward I had my testing done and it came back negative. So uh, we actually met, my husband and I met with my sister, Holly, and we told her the news. And she, of course, was just as excited as we were. And she said, I'm going to live my life as if we are identical twins and act like I don't have this mutation either. I do not want to have that burden on me. I'm not going to find out and I'm just going to live life carefree like I always have. You know, she was very successful, was raising her son as a single mom, but she didn't, she just couldn't take on that burden at that point. And she said, I'm just going to live life like I don't have this disease. And that's what she did for a few more years until she became symptomatic. And she had herself so convinced that she didn't carry this mutation that even when she was symptomatic and I would talk to her about it, and let her know, I think there's something happening. And I know you're only 42 years old and our mom was in her 50s along with her siblings. I think something's not right. She had a hard time dealing with it because it just, it couldn't possibly be happening to her as a single mom. 
And then at the same time, my older sister, who wouldn't even discuss the death of my mom or this rare incurable disease that was affecting our family, she just couldn't handle it at all. We didn't, she didn't like to talk about it. She was also becoming symptomatic at the exact same time as my twin sister. So then we had uh, a situation on our hands where we had we had to figure things out. What were we, here are two siblings, 42 and 44, and they're both exhibiting symptoms of a rare incurable disease. So at that time, my older sister, she had her husband and I called him and we talked through things and it was, it became really obvious something wasn't right. And through the University of Pennsylvania, we learned about a bone marrow transplant in uh, Minnesota. So Heather being the big sister, she went first. She started the bone marrow transplant, which is extremely uh, experimental. It is considered compassionate care. So because there are no other treatments available for someone with ALSP, she, she did try it because it was our hope. It gave us hope that we may not lose the next two people to this disease, but unfortunately Heather suffered complications due to the bone marrow transplant and she did not survive it. So Holly decided she did not want to live out the rest of her time in a hospital a thousand miles away from her family. So she canceled the procedure and she came home to live out the last eight months of her life with me and her son. So my family, my husband and my son took her in and her son and we lived, uh, you know, as one family and made the best of every last day she had on this earth. There is so much there and I hope to see this in a movie someday so I can just like really try to absorb it all. I can understand your sister's stake that she put in the ground, right? And wanting to live her her life that way. And I can also understand that there's no guidebook for how to deal with something like this. There are no examples that you had of anyone else probably uh, grappling with something that plagues your family like this and knowing that it's going to ultimately end with losing losing loved ones. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've actually learned so much through my, through this journey with my sisters. And I now can understand why it's such a personal decision to make. In 2014, when I was allowed to have this predictive genetic testing, I had a really hard time understanding why would you not find out? But now watching what my sisters have gone through and my mom and her siblings, I do understand it's a very personal decision and it's hard to live with. I also know now that there are different biotech companies looking into the ALSP space and Vigil Neuro is going to be uh, starting a future clinical trial and we have a natural history study that has already started that there is even more reason to find out if you carry this mutation because there is hope. You know, I I try to look for the positives in all of this. It's it's a horrible situation that I've been through. I don't wish this on anyone. I never thought that I would be living without my mom and my two sisters. Quite honestly, it's it is a lot to deal with, but I don't want other families to go through what I have gone through, and I never want my nieces and nephews to feel any more pain. So, I do advocate for genetic testing, but I understand how hard that decision is. We're no longer living in a world where there aren't future treatments that may be available. So 
we have the bone marrow transplant. It's not a great option for everyone. It did not work for my sister, but it's an option and it gives you hope. You know, you have to decide between quality of life and quantity of life. And that's no one's decision, but your own, you know, that's a personal decision you have to make. And I've learned that from my sisters. Also with vigils, clinical trial, there's hope there that there is hope for the future. So at this point, anyone who doesn't find out that they carry the mutation may actually delay their chances of saving themselves. I don't know how else to say it, but there are options and you have to know that you carry this mutation in order to save yourself. But again, I've learned a lot from both of my sisters. They didn't want to know if they carried the mutation. They only found out because they were symptomatic and then it was already too late to save them. Do you think your sister, Holly, who chose not to have it and to live her life to the fullest, do you think that if she had known that she wouldn't have lived her life to the fullest, do you think it would have taken her down a notch mentally? Or do you think she would have still went out there with gusto? You know, I don't think she was capable of not living life to the fullest. It was just her personality. <laughs> no worries. I, you know, and I often wanted to be a lot like that, where I'm the worrier. And she would always say that, like, I tried to take care of everyone. And I would, all the burdens fell on me. And I wanted it that way. I'm like, let them fall on me. I will carry your burdens and I'll help everyone get through this. Holly was, oh, I don't care. I'm going to the beach. I'll drop everything. Uh, You know, her and her son, they just palled around and she was the best single mom ever. And she was like, nope, drop everything. Whatever my son wants, drop everything. It's a sunny day. I'm going to the beach. (laughs) She lived life to the fullest. And I don't think you, you could have changed that. I love that so much. (laughs) Aside from all the burdens and stressors of being your sister's caregiver in the last months, what are you grateful for from that time? You know, the biggest thing that I'm grateful for is that I, I always told myself, just do everything you can for your sisters in that moment. And my mom, when she was sick, live in that moment. But when it gets to be too much, walk away and take time for yourself and your family but don't have any regrets. So I gave everything I could to make memories with my sisters. Holly lived here um, with me in in my, my hometown where she liked the city. I brought her to the country. She wasn't real happy, <laughs> but we were able to make the best memories. And I have, I have no regrets because she laughed, she smiled, she cried a little, but we made the best of every day. I'm so glad that we brought her home from Minnesota and allowed her to live out those final days because it allowed her son to have more memories with her. My nieces and nephews, my son and my husband, we all, we were just this, this little ALSP gang. (laughs) We just rallied around her and did whatever she wanted and made her life as the best it possibly could be until the end. Oh my gosh. What a special, what a special family. I love that. Okay, so what do we do? What are you doing? I know that you are heading up, you know, this community, right? This advocacy group. You have a natural history study going on. How are you trying to find more patients and get people tested? I am the president and founder of Sisters Hope Foundation. And this month is ALSP Awareness Month. 
the month of March. Isn't that interesting? Yes. See, it worked out exactly how it was supposed to, Heidi. I know, right? So what you don't know about March is March is also my birthday month. My twin sister, Holly, because I'm the introvert. Uh, most people don't believe that anymore. But And Holly was the extrovert. So one day she's like, we're having a birthday month. And I'm like, okay, whatever you want, Holly, because I just follow you. <laughs> you know, I have my buddy. We can do whatever we want together. So she designated the entire month as our birthday month, and we would celebrate it and have a lot of fun. So March is our birthday month, and the great thing is on March 31st is actually our birthday. So from the 1st to the 31st, we celebrated and enjoyed ourselves. And in honor of my sisters, I thought it fitting for ALSP Awareness Month to be recognized in March. But not only because it's my birthday month, but because March signifies new beginnings with the start of spring longer daylight hours, and joy after the short days in the cold of the winter months. So this month, we kicked off a campaign called Bridging the Gap in ALSP Awareness. We had four bridges lit in Massachusetts in pink and purple for ALSP Awareness Month. Our official colors are pink and purple. And we are contacting as many neurologists, geneticists, neuropsychologists, neuroradiologists, everyone in the field of neurology that we possibly can get our hands on and educating them and raising awareness about this rare disease that does not have a cure. Now, the Colors of Sister Hope, Sisters Hope Foundation and ALSP Awareness Month, like I said, are pink and purple. So every time I see pink and purple, I think about my sisters and I want others to think about Heather and Holly, my sisters, and the meaning of these colors. Pink represents love, fun, nurturing, and compassion. Purple represents comfort. Together, they are vibrant and represent hope. So on March 1st, when the bridges in Boston and the surrounding areas were lit in pink and purple, I wanted everyone to see those colors, research what those colors meant. They would find Sisters Hope and ALSP Awareness and then talk to other people and connect ALSP with Sisters Hope Foundation. Well, I am in awe of you and I don't even know your family, but I can assure you that I hear Heather and Holly's zest inside of you. And I'm just so excited for you and you're doing such a great job. And what is also interesting is that I release my episodes on Thursdays. So I'm going to bump one of my friends and get your episode out next week on your birthday. Oh my gosh, thank you. Oh. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's it it's got to be done. Yes. How special and, you know, once upon a gene, we're here to help you light up your colors and share your message no matter what. So, thank you. Yeah, thank you. And this is my first birthday month, my first birthday without my twin sister Holly. And um of course, you can't even imagine what that feels like <laughs> unless you've lost a twin and um or a sister. Or a really close loved one, you know? So it's um it's a hard month, but because I know they're watching over me and they are proud of what I'm doing and they they wanted me to save their children and save other families from this devastating disease. That's why I have the the courage and the ability to keep pushing forward. And as hard as this month is and my first birthday without my twin sister, I will still celebrate because I have a lot to celebrate. We've accomplished so much in this year since we launched the foundation, since we launched our, our first website, 
And we we can celebrate a natural history study, a patient registry, and all of the hard work that we've put into the last year to raise awareness for ALSP. I wish I could just hug you right now, Heidi. I'm sending you a <laughs> big, you. fat, squeezy hug. Just amazing. And you're doing it, Heidi. You are changing the world. And who could ask for a better daughter, sister, and aunt? I mean, just really, really thankful you're, you're out there doing this work. Thanks, Effie. Okay, Heidi. Thank you so much for being my guest and just know that we're always here to, to help. So keep in touch, okay? Okay. Have a great day. You Thank too. you so much for having me on your show. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this show with your people and please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story, or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate you all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you. <laughs>